God put this word on my heart. Really excited to share with you. We're going to be in Luke's gospel chapter seven. I'm going to preach a message to you tonight titled fully known, fully forgiven and full of love. We're going to be in again, Luke's gospel in the seventh chapter. But before we dive into our text, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been in a situation in life where you felt like you didn't belong? It's probably one of the worst feelings ever, isn't it? To be in a situation, a circumstance, maybe it's an event, maybe it's a gathering where you felt like you didn't belong. All eyes are on you and you feel completely out of place. You know, there have been, there have been several moments in my life personally where I've felt that. And the first thing that kind of comes to mind is I remember back in high school, uh, first day of freshman year, come on. Can anybody relate? First day of freshman year in high school, I was attending um, public school for the first time ever. And I remember walking on campus and I felt so out of place. I felt like I didn't belong. At the time, I was playing football and I played quarterback and I was competing against a, another quarterback who had grown up his entire life in that community. He knew all the teammates were buddies with him, and I was, I was competing against him for this position. I ended up beating him, and um, I got the starting job. And I remember that whole season, even though I was the starting quarterback, I felt completely out of place. I felt like I didn't belong. The team was still loyal to the other guy. Um, and I have another story I want to share with you if you just humor me. There was another moment in my life. I remember it was my senior year of high school. And my family and I, we attended a John Foreman concert. Now, who here knows who John Foreman is? Some of you. He's, he's an artist. He's the lead singer of the band Switchfoot. They're actually from the San Diego area. Uh, he's a pastor's kid. He's also well known for his solo projects. He's a great singer, songwriter, Grammy Award winner. And so we go to his concert, me and my family, we're super excited, right? So we pile into this theater in downtown Sacramento. We get our seats. You know what it's like before you're waiting. I mean, I guess, I guess we don't know what it's like anymore because of COVID, but you know, pre-COVID days, you go to a concert, you're waiting for the act and uh, we're sitting there in our seats. And my dad, you know, Pastor Greg, who knows Pastor Greg? He's been here a few times. My dad's a passionate, you know, energetic guy. And he gets this crazy idea. He's like, you know what, Pete? Let's sneak backstage. Let's sneak past security and let's go say hi to John Foreman. And I'm like, dad, you are out of your mind. Like, no. My dad had done a couple um, evan evangelical outreaches with Switchfoot before they were famous. Um, so my dad had this crazy idea that John would remember who he was, which is insane. But anyways, my dad convinced me and we get up out of our seats and we're crossing sections there in the theater that we're not supposed to be crossing. And somehow miraculously we make it past security. And, uh, I mean, there's no turning back at this point. Right. And I'm like cringing. I'm so uncomfortable. Right. And we're like, we're in this old theater, so we're, we're like down in this basement. There's like no turning. We don't belong there. Like we don't belong. We don't have an all-access pass. And so we're trying to find John. We're trying to find, you know, where the band is. And suddenly we come to the green room. And 
it becomes very apparent very quickly that we don't belong there, right? We don't have the special passes. Eyes begin to turn toward us and people are questioning who we are, why we're there. We end up finding um, John Foreman and he, it was the, it was probably one of the most awkward <laughs> moments. He like had no idea who we were. My dad's like trying to remind him and he had just completely forgotten. We didn't get a picture. It was super awkward. And we just like walked back to our seats with our tail between our legs, you know, and I'm cringing like this shouldn't have happened. Why? Because I, we didn't belong there right now. Just imagine with me for a moment that we did have an all access pass. Imagine with me for a moment that our name was on the list. Now, that would have changed everything, wouldn't it have? We probably would have been known by John. We would have been much more bold and confident in our approach to go into that exclusive environment. So why do I bring up this story? Well, did you know that we have received an invitation from Jesus? I'm talking about what Jesus said recorded in Matthew's gospel in the 11th chapter. Listen to these words. Jesus said this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus has given to us an exclusive invitation to draw near to him. Is there a greater reality in all the world than to know that the arms of Jesus are open? Well, tonight in our passage before us, I want us to consider an encounter that takes place between Jesus and a sinful woman, but a woman that heard the invitation of Jesus to come, a woman who would have heard the words of Jesus recorded in Matthew chapter 11 and who comes boldly before Jesus. Let's pick it up here in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. We read, Then one of the Pharisees asked him, that is Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. And she stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. She kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, here's a little inside scoop into what's going on in the mind of Simon the Pharisee. He spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. Well, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, well, I suppose the one who he forgave more. And he said to him, Jesus said, you have rightly judged. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? 
I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her in verse 48, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, go, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. What a beautiful scene. Let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. And Holy Spirit, we are here waiting on you. We ask, God, that you would open our eyes and our ears to hear from you, Lord, that you would speak to us tonight through your word, that we would leave this place understanding your heart for us, your heart for this woman here in this passage, and that, God, we would be refreshed by the good news of Jesus. We love you, Lord. Speak to us now, we pray. And it's in your mighty name. Everyone who agrees, say, amen. So here in our text, in Luke's gospel, chapter 7, we discover that Jesus has been invited to the house of Simon, a Pharisee. But it's not the kind of invitation you might be thinking. Now, in the first century, when you would break bread with someone, it was incredibly intimate, right? It spoke of relational intimacy. In Jewish culture, that was a big deal. But Jesus doesn't receive the welcome into Simon's house that you would think he would receive. You see, contextually, we see that Simon had omitted what was customary in Jewish culture, for greeting a guest into your house. What am I talking about? Well, when you would welcome a guest into your home in the first century, it was common that you would greet them with a kiss. And then you would proceed to anoint their head with oil as a sign of blessing. Maybe it was even fragrant perfume for refreshing. And then a servant of the house would come and kneel down, remove the sandals from your guest's feet, and wash their feet for refreshment. Because we know in the first century, the roads were basically just dust paths. People's feet were disgusting. But here, in Simon's home, Jesus doesn't receive that kind of a welcome. But nonetheless, Jesus, being gracious, comes into Simon's home and reclines at the table and proceeds to break bread with Simon. Can you just imagine this scene? Imagine this conversation. Now, in the first century, homes were constructed in a unique way. It was common for homes to have a gate and then an inner courtyard. And in the summer months, in the heat in the Middle East, it was very common for people to enjoy dinner outside in the summer months. Kind of like us in San Diego, right? It's beautiful. And it was also common when you dealt with dignitaries and special religious people that crowds would come and they would observe the dinner of important people. So picture this scene. Jesus comes to Simon the Pharisee's house. He's not greeted with a warm welcome. It's kind of calloused and cold. But nonetheless, he proceeds to come to the table. And then a crowd begins to gather around the house of Simon, and they're looking in on this dinner party, and they're listening in to the conversation. Can you just imagine this conversation? I wonder what they were talking about. Is Simon interrogating Jesus? 
Is he curious as to who this rabbi is whose fame is growing and spreading across all of Israel? Is he interrogating him? Or is he like Nicodemus, who was very curious and open to the message of Jesus? Well, we don't know. But what we see here in our text is that as they continue to break bread and as they're eating and and conversing and talking, all of the sudden, there's an interruption. The conversation is drowned out by the convulsing tears of her, a woman of the city. Now, the language here in the Greek would suggest that this woman was definitely of a bad, poor reputation among the people of the city, most likely a prostitute. She comes boldly into a Pharisee's home. She's drowning out the conversation with with her tears. She comes boldly to the feet of Jesus. She begins to weep. I think sometimes when we read scripture, when we hear stories like this, it can be so easy for us to disassociate with how radical of a scene this is. So just picture with me for a moment. Imagine that you invite Pastor Rob over to your home and you're excited, right? You've cooked your best meal. You've prepared your house. It's all clean because come on, we all love Pastor Rob. Amen. He's a great guy. He's a special guest. He comes in, he sits at your table You guys are enjoying a great conversation. The food is amazing. And all of a sudden, your front door bursts open. And here comes a scandalously clad, poorly dressed prostitute. Comes into your home, to your table. Kneels down on the ground. Takes Pastor Rob's shoes off. Seriously. Is weeping. Crying. I mean, it's obvious. She doesn't belong here. But she is moved. She's broken. This is a radical scene, friends, taking place in the house of Simon. In verse 37, if you look with me again, it reads, And behold, right? A woman in the city who was a sinner. The Greek here behind that word behold literally carries the idea that in the blink of an eye, in one moment, all the attention turns, all the attention turns to this unexpected guest. Everyone is now watching this woman at the feet of Jesus. What is she doing? She's weeping. She's convulsing with tears. She's let her hair down. The text tells us that she's come with an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and she anoints the feet of Jesus. Imagine how awkward this must have been. Again, there's a stimulating conversation and all of a sudden there's this crazy interruption. Imagine the awkward gasps of the people. Who is this woman? And then suddenly as we come to verse 39, we are directed to the introspective thoughts of Simon. We get a sneak peek into what Simon is thinking as he begins to question Jesus' authority. Would you read with me again in verse 39? Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, 
This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Jesus then proceeds to tell a story, a story of a creditor who has two debtors. And the key to the story is that both of these debtors could not pay back what they owed. What Jesus is doing here in this moment is he is flipping the entire script. He makes it very clear in his response to Simon that Simon and this woman are more alike than Simon realizes. But Simon is so blinded by his pride and his pseudo-religiosity that he can't see the deeper thing that's taking place here. You see, Simon thought that this woman didn't belong. All Simon could see was her sin. All Simon could see was her lifestyle. In his eyes, he was on a much higher moral ground than she Look at verse 44 with me one more time. Jesus asks Simon, do you see this woman? Jesus says to Simon, do you see this woman? You might be thinking tonight, why does Jesus ask Simon this question? Why? I mean, at this point, isn't it obvious that all eyes are on this woman She has done something that in Jewish culture is is unheard of. She's interrupted a dinner party of a prominent religious figure there in Israel. Jesus is asking Simon, do you see her? Do you see what's taking place, Simon? What does Jesus mean? Well, Simon thought that Jesus couldn't see her. But again, Jesus flips the script here. He says to Simon, do you see her? Simon, do you see her love? Simon, do you see her repentance, her devotion? Because that's what I see. Jesus quickly displays that it was in fact Simon who was in the wrong, not this woman. Simon was cold and callous toward Jesus. And I think it's important for us to note, look, you can be moral, but loveless. You can be moral, but loveless. You see, in this text, we see a beautiful contrast between Simon and this woman, don't we? Simon is cold and callous toward Jesus. He thinks he's on this moral high ground, but he's loveless. This woman had an advantage over Simon. You see, Both were sinners. The difference is she knew it. She knew she was a sinner. And this led her to come boldly to the feet of Jesus and express her deepest emotions, her deepest affections there that night. See, Bible scholars believe that if you put the gospels in chronological order, that this woman would have most likely heard the words of Jesus, his last teaching before this moment. The teaching that I brought up earlier in my intro from Matthew chapter 11, come to me all who are weary and troubled and I will give you rest. 
At some point, this woman had heard the invitation of Jesus. She had seen his grace. She had seen the mercy of God. And she was compelled to trust and cling to him. She was so compelled that she comes boldly to the house of Simon the Pharisee and is completely undone at the feet of Jesus. I believe that every Christian, all of us here in this place, should be able to relate to this woman. So I ask you, do you see yourself in her? Or do you see yourself in Simon? There's a band that um, I love. It's kind of a weird name. They're called Gable Price and Friends. And they wrote a song called Heretic. And in this song, Gable alludes to this story here in the Gospel of Luke. Gable writes this. I think it's going to be on the screen. Gable writes, And if you walk into my home and you make your glory known, would my tears soak your feet or would I crucify you? Now that is a powerful line. So I ask you the same question. Do you see yourself in this woman at the feet of Jesus? You see, this woman's bold, humble, broken, and demonstrative act at the feet of Jesus was proof that she had received the grace of God and she couldn't help but express her deepest affection there at his feet. What she once used to seduce, she now used to worship She had tasted redemption and she couldn't contain her love. And in this story, we encounter probably one of the most beautiful truths in all of scripture. And that is this, that he who is forgiven much loves much. You see, when we understand the depths of our sin, when we understand how low we've been and we understand the beautiful, beautiful sacrificial love of Jesus, the grace of God that is poured out in the person of Jesus, we can't help but express our love and affection back to him. Amen? Amen. For he has done so much for us. So much. And that's what we see here in this story. Now for the remainder of our time tonight, what I want us to do is I want us to consider this story here through the lens of worship. Because I believe that what is taking place here at at the feet of Jesus, speaks volumes into worship. So if you're taking down notes, I want us to look at the approach of this woman. The first point is this. This woman came before Jesus boldly. Everybody say boldly. She came before Jesus boldly. This woman breaks every cultural norm of the day there in the first century just to be close to Jesus. No woman in the first century would ever dare do such a thing, but she was motivated by love. She was motivated by the grace that she had received from Jesus. And in this moment, nothing else mattered to her than to be close to Jesus. Think about it. What did she have to lose? Seriously, her reputation? She had already lost her reputation. This woman's, this woman's boldness here to approach the feet of Jesus was in direct proportion 
to the grace and the forgiveness that Christ had offered her. You see, like my illustration earlier, when you know that you've been invited in, when you've been given an exclusive invitation, it changes everything. You can approach with boldness. You can approach with confidence. And this woman coming boldly before Jesus, gosh, it was in direct proportion to this amazing invitation that Jesus had given her. Come to me. Come to me. She was bold in approaching Jesus because she belonged. She had heard the invitation. Her boldness had nothing to do with who she was. Nothing to do with who she was. But it had everything to do with who Jesus was and Jesus' invitation. You know, for us as the church, when it comes to worship, we too, like this woman, have an invitation from Jesus. The writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, says this, Let us therefore come, what? Boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is a beautiful scripture, is it not? But let me ask you the question, how do we come boldly before Jesus? Like, how is that possible? Well, in that same passage in Hebrews chapter 4, we discover an incredible truth. Jesus is referred to as our great high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Our great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Now, this is incredibly symbolic language here in the book of Hebrews. You see, in the Old Testament, the high priest on the Day of Atonement. He would offer sacrifices for the people of God, right? A sacrifice to atone for the sins of the nation. And he would pass through every part of the tabernacle all the way to the Holy of Holies. And there he would offer the sacrifice, sprinkle the blood that would atone for the people of Israel. What the writer of Hebrews is doing here is he's comparing Jesus He's saying, he's referring to Jesus rather as our great high priest who has passed through the heavens. That means that all through the cosmos, through every portion of heaven, Jesus has passed through as the perfect sacrificial lamb of God, right? And now ministers as the great high priest. And check this out. He's holy, but he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows that we're vulnerable. He knows that we're weak. So how are we able to come boldly? Oh, we're able to come boldly because of Jesus. Because of Jesus' bold sacrifice at the cross of Calvary. He's given us the invitation. Come near to me. Come boldly to my throne of, of grace. So it's by grace that we come boldly. And then guess what? When we arrive at the throne, we get more grace. <laughs> That's just how good God is. He invites us to come boldly to him. It's not because of what we've done. It's not because of what we've earned. But it's because that he has showered his grace. It has nothing to do with us. So here in this text in Luke chapter 7, we see that this woman comes boldly to Jesus at his feet. And and so can we. Why? Because of our gracious, gracious God. He's invited us. 
He's placed our name on the list, so to speak. We are welcomed in. It's by his blood that we belong and we can come boldly. Amen? So we see that this woman comes boldly. Second point tonight is this. Look, she came before Jesus humbly. Come on, can I, can I everyone say humbly? Humbly. So look, here's an important distinction. You can be bold and humble at the same time. <laughs> I want us to consider her posture. Like I said, in the first century, when there would be a dinner party, there wasn't a table and chairs, right? So the guests would recline at the table. They would lay on their side and their feet would be directed outward, especially in Jewish culture because feet were considered unclean. So like get that, get those things away from the food, right? (laughs) I mean, I think we can all agree feet are probably still considered unclean, even in American culture. Um, But nonetheless, we see Jesus reclined at the table and this woman comes and, and our text tells us that she stands behind him at his feet. She's down, at this point, she's down on the ground. She's at the feet of Jesus. She's tearful, lowly, as if she were unworthy to even be looked upon by him. Her humble posture at Jesus' feet shows us, tells us, that she recognized Christ's supreme worth and glory in comparison to her sin and shame. She comes before Jesus humbly. Charles Spurgeon, in commentary on this passage, says this. I'm going to quote him. It'll be on the screen. He says, Our Lord was reclining at his meal, and his feet were turned towards the door, so that she had not come far into the house before she reached his feet. And there she stood at his feet. Charles Spurgeon goes on to say, those are blessed words at his feet. That is where we also would stand and weep. That is where we would sit and learn. That is where we would wait and serve. That is where we hope to live and reign forever at his feet. Come on, somebody, give an amen to that. I'm reminded of that passage of scripture in 1 Peter 5, 5. That God resists the proud, but gives grace to the, you say it, humble. Now we hear a lot of messages that God is love and God is pursuing you. And that is totally true. But consider the language here in 1 Peter chapter 5. That God resists the proud. He wants nothing to do with you if you're full of pride. But he gives grace to the humble. Now, when we think of humility, like what is humility? Humility is not self-deprecation, okay? That's not what humility is. C.S. Lewis uh, is quoted describing humility as this. Humility is not thinking of yourself or less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Look, 
This woman here at the feet of Jesus, she is exalting Christ from a posture of humility. But look, when we exalt Christ, we easily humble ourselves because we're exalting him. We're giving him the attention. We're giving him the glory. We're giving him the honor. The same thing happens when we exist and we live to serve others. Suddenly, the needs of others become more important to us than our own. That's the key to humility. And so we see this woman preferring Christ, pouring her affection there at his feet. In the book of John, or excuse me, in John's revelation of the throne room of God, it's recorded in Revelation chapter 4. We're given a glimpse into the worship that is taking place in heaven around God's throne. And it's a, it's a very powerful scene. But I am struck by this scene when I consider that there are 24 elders around the throne. And we're told in John's vision that they all have crowns upon their head. And what do we see in John's vision? We see the elders there in God's presence falling down at the feet of the throne, at the feet of Jesus, and casting their crowns before him. So the worship that is taking place in the very presence of God is full of humility. So we see, number one, that this woman comes boldly. We see that she comes humbly. And the third point tonight is this. She came before Jesus broken. She was broken. This woman here at Jesus' feet was deeply moved by God. She's there crying with tearful repentance. Literally, the language here in the Greek is that she is convulsing over her depravity. Don't miss the imagery here, friends. She's not like sobbing. She's shaking. She is so overwhelmed by God's grace in light of her sin that she can't contain the deepest emotions within her. It's a beautiful picture. You know, it's this kind of brokenness that David describes in Psalm 51. We know this. David makes, commits a horrible sin. He has an affair with Bathsheba. It's a big mess. He ends up murdering her husband. He's an adulterer and a murderer. And he's broken over his sin. And what does he write in Psalm 51? Verse 17 David says this, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. What David is essentially saying is, God, you're more interested in what is taking place in my heart than my sacrifice. You're more interested with what's taking place in the deepest parts of who I am than anything I ever do on the surface. God wants a broken heart. That's what pleases him. I'm also reminded of the words of Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount. It's the first thing he says. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Like, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is essentially saying that the kingdom of God belongs to those who recognize they're broken who recognize that apart from God's grace, 
They can't make it on their own. And that's exactly what we see here in Luke chapter 7. This woman has come to Jesus. She's broken. She's convulsing over her sin. She's convulsing over her lifestyle choices. Her tears are soaking the feet of Jesus to the point where she lets her hair down. She's wiping up her tears. This is a powerful scene of brokenness. God wants our hearts. That's what he's interested in. You know, another parallel scripture to this, I believe we find in Matthew chapter 15, verse 18. Jesus is talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about the Pharisees and he's commenting on their pseudo-religiosity, their hypocrisy. And he says this in Matthew chapter 15, verse 18. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They're saying all the right things, but it's not translating into their soul. God wants, God is interested, God is drawn to a broken heart. A heart that is broken over sin. God cares much more about what is taking place in your heart than he would ever dare care about what you do. It all begins, it all stems from the heart. We know that scripture says that Man looks at the outward, right? But God looks at the heart. Sometimes what seems healthy and vibrant and thriving is decaying from the inside out. God is interested in what's taking place in your heart. Paul talks about this, right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul's talking about all these amazing spiritual gifts, these, these incredible acts of like, spiritual strength and giftings that you could perform. But Paul says this, if you don't have love, it's nothing. It doesn't matter. If there's not love in your heart, if there's not affection toward God, if you're not motivated by love, it doesn't matter. God is most concerned about what's taking place in the inward man and the inward woman. Look, Jesus affirms this woman. He commends her for her great act of love. But it's not because of what she did. It's because of what was taking place in her heart. Jesus affirmed her love, but he commended her faith as the saving factor in her life. At the end of this passage, Jesus says, look, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It was her faith in Christ and the brokenness over her sin that led to her forgiveness. And the fact that she had been extended grace, the fact that she had been forgiven, led her to express this love at the feet of Jesus in such a demonstrative and public way. She was motivated by love because she had first been loved. That brings us to another passage of scripture, right? We love him because he first loved us. He's the initiator. So we see that she's bold. We see that she comes before Jesus broken. And the fourth and final point I want to bring up tonight is this. Look, her affection toward Jesus was demonstrative. I mean, I think this is obvious. It was demonstrative. It was expressive. She held nothing back. Nothing back. 
She has come completely undone at the feet of Jesus in an incredible display of affection. I believe there's three reasons why her her worship was demonstrative, why her affection was demonstrative. And the first is this, look, she was demonstrative in her affection because she, she boldly and unapologetically broke every social custom of that time. Nothing could stop her from coming to the feet of Jesus. Nothing. No woman would ever dare do what she did, but nothing was going to stop her. She was so motivated and moved. She had to come. The second reason why I think her affection was demonstrative is because she, we discover that she lets her hair down. She lets her hair down and wipes the feet of Jesus. Now, this is huge. For us in the 21st century, we're like, your hair is down? Like, it's not a big deal. But in Jewish culture, the hair of a woman was literally believed to be her glory. It was one of the most intimate things you could experience would be to see a woman with her hair down. It was reserved for her husband. In Jewish culture, on her wedding day, a woman would put her hair up and then never again be seen in public with her hair down. I mean, for this woman to come to the feet of Jesus and let her hair down, I mean, it's demonstrative. It's extravagant. It's expressive. She's saying a lot of things here. What she's basically saying is, I don't care about what anyone else is thinking. I don't care about what anyone else's opinion is. All I care about is Jesus. So she lets her hair down. You know, according to Jewish tradition in the Talmud, this was such a grave offense that rabbis put a woman's loosing her hair down and uncovering her breasts in the same category. That's how radical this would have been in first century. But nothing was going to stop her. So she lets her hair down. The third reason why I believe that her worship was demonstrative and expressive and extravagant is because her worship was costly. I don't know if you noticed this little detail in this story, but we're told that this woman brings an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Again, in 21st century, we're all into oil, aren't we? Right? Doterra. We're putting oil, you know, all over the place all the time. But, oh man, in first century, this was expensive. Bible scholars believe that this alabaster flask of oil very well could have been worth an entire year's wages. Think about that. Other theologians and Bible scholars believe that this very well could have been this woman's dowry, her gift that she would have given her husband. So what do we see her doing? We see her breaking this alabaster flask of oil at the feet of Jesus and anointing his feet. Not anointing his head, which would have been the custom there in the first century. No, she wasn't worthy enough to anoint his head. She anoints his feet. Essentially, what this woman is saying is, Jesus, you are my everything. She's completely undone before her. Nothing else mattered. All that mattered was Jesus. You know, the word worship comes from the word worthy. It's where we get our word worthy. We worship what we deem the most worthy. And biblically, worship is always connected to sacrifice all the way back to the Garden of Eden. So we sacrifice for, we make sacrifices for what we consider to be most worthy to us. For this woman here in Luke chapter seven, that was Jesus. 
She was willing, nothing else mattered. She was willing to come completely undone at his feet, break this costly sacrifice and give it to Jesus. Nothing else mattered but him. She came before Jesus with humility. She came before Jesus broken. She came before Jesus desperate and boldly. And she left, raised up, recognized, forgiven, and freed. Look, Jesus says to us, come to me. Just come. You're welcome here. You belong. Come to me. Not because of who you are or what you've done, but because of who I am and what I've done. Look, when we see Jesus for who he truly is, a holy God who is full of grace and mercy, we will see ourselves correctly, just like this woman. It's like the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, who is given this incredible insight into the throne room of God, right? He sees the holiness, the majesty, the beauty of God. And what does he say? He says, woe is me. I am undone. When we see Jesus for who he truly is, it is then that we see ourselves correctly. But hear this, church. You've been given an invitation to come. I find it so interesting that this woman comes before Jesus broken, tearful, repentant, but she left approved, valued, forgiven, assured of her identity, and full of peace. And look, this too is available to us when we come before the Lord. He's given us an invitation. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And I think it would be appropriate for us to end our time stirring our affections for Jesus. He's given us an invitation to come. Because of his sacrifice, because of what he's accomplished for us, we can come boldly to his throne. So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what burdens you might be carrying. But what I do know is that there is no greater place to be than at the feet of Jesus. There is no greater act that we could give in response to what he's done for us than to give him our hearts, than to pour out all that we are in reckless surrender before him. So what I want us to do is I want us to pray. And then we're going to sing. We're going to, I don't know, spend 10 minutes just singing and coming before the Lord. And if we have men or women here and you're on the prayer team, as we pray, I want to invite you to come forward. And if you're carrying a burden, broken, I want to encourage you to come and receive prayer. And as we worship, I mean, we have this carpet up here at front, up front. And maybe you would feel so led as just to come and, and bow just to pour out your heart, to give your affection and, and, and your emotion and your love to Jesus tonight. So let me pray for us and then we'll do it. Lord, we just thank you for this beautiful example that we see here 
in Scripture. This example that tells us that we can come boldly to your throne. We don't have to have it all together. We don't have to have all the answers, but we can come before you as we are. We can hear the invitation that you've given. We can receive your grace and experience your love and your peace. Maybe there's some of us here tonight that are, that are troubled, that are weary, that are burdened. Lord, I pray that tonight you would remind them that your peace is available to them. It's a peace that surpasses understanding. And that you would meet them right now, Lord, as we wait on you. In Jesus' name, amen.